Amen. And it is good, good to be in the presence of a good, good God. It's been three months, about three months, since most of us for the first time heard of a city in China called Wuhan. It's been about three months or so also since most of us heard for the first time the term coronavirus. It's been about seven weeks since we were first ordered to shelter in place, and I don't know about the rest of you, but along the way during this journey, I've experienced periodic moments of disequilibrium, what some have called surreal, I've heard that term over and over, in which I've sort of felt lost, like I'm in strangely unfamiliar territory, when the moorings that have always held my life in place and held things in order have somehow come loose and I'm adrift feels like maybe I'm in a Mad Max dystopia at times, and it seems that I've got more questions than answers. The foundations that I've always stood on, the foundations that have always held things together, the assumptions that I've always relied on suddenly aren't so certain anymore. It's like being in an earthquake, I think, or like being in at least that simulated earthquake down at the Tech Museum in San Jose where things start moving and you're not accustomed to things moving and being in different places, and you feel imbalanced, and you reach for something, and it's not there. We're looking for solid ground, or at least a place to drop an anchor. And over these past seven weeks, I've had some of these surreal moments of disequilibrium, also with my faith. Not that my faith has wavered, it hasn't, but I've found myself going back to the beginning and going back to foundations and trying to get my footing in certain places. I've asked myself questions like, what's it all about? What's God doing? What's God all about? What's the meaning of all of this? How do I respond? What, if anything, am I supposed to do? What is most important at this point to do? And once upon a time, someone came to Jesus with a similar question. This man was a well-educated teacher of religion, of the Jewish faith and practice specifically. And he came to Jesus in a different context and in a different way. But he nevertheless came to Jesus with the same question. What is most important? This man who was a teacher of the law was also a student of the law. And so he knew that the scriptures of the Jewish people had 613 commandments. And not only did he know that fact, but he certainly knew all 613 of those commandments themselves. He was such a profound and proficient student of the law to become what was called a teacher of the law. And so he too must have found himself in a place of uncertainty with all of these laws that must have been puzzling, overwhelming creating a sense of disequilibrium. Where do I put my feet down? And he must have asked, what is most important? What should a person focus on? What one thing is the most important? And Jesus had an answer for him. Jesus had an answer for that question. And we'll see it in the scriptures. But before we dive in, let's pray together. God, we ask that you would quiet our hearts from the distractions in the other rooms, the things that we have to do, our tasks, those things that cause us stress, all of the noises around us that are clamoring for our attention. Help us to be attentive to your word and through it to you, 
to your will and to your way. Give us eyes that are good to see you and your things, ears that are good to hear and hearts that are good and fertile soil. I pray and ask that as my words are true to your word that they be taken to heart. If my words stray or deviate in any way, may they immediately be forgotten. We pray in Christ the Lord. Amen. If you've got a Bible with you or nearby or in another room, go grab it real quick there at home. Uh, We're going to read this morning from the Gospel of Mark. It's the second book in the New Testament. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Mark was actually the first of the four Gospels to be written, the earliest to be written down. It just comes second in the order of things in the Bible. We're going to start at chapter 12, beginning at verse 28. Listen closely. This is the Word of God. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, and the them that Mark is talking about is Jesus and a group of Sadducees who were a prominent party or a prominent group, like a denomination in what was the Jewish, larger Jewish community of the day. They were people who were interested in the scriptures, they were interested in all things doctrine, and a group of Sadducees had come to Jesus, who was becoming recognized more and more as a rabbi or a teacher himself. They came to him with a question that pertained to a hypothetical woman whose husband had died, and after he had died, she married another husband. And the Sadducees had a question for Jesus that said, who would be her husband in or at or after the resurrection? Which was an odd and curious question because Sadducees generally didn't believe in the resurrection, and so they are either trying to trick Jesus or test him. Either way. One of the teachers of the law came and heard Jesus and some Sadducees debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, the teacher of the law asked Jesus, of all the commandments, of all those 613, which is the most important? Without skipping a beat, Jesus said the most important one, drum roll please, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the teacher of the law replied, you're right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all of your heart and with all of your understanding and with all of your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. In other words, more important than all religion, all religious activity, all religious devotion, practicing religion. Are you with me? When Jesus saw that the teacher of the law had answered wisely, Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared to ask Jesus any other questions. In the midst of a pandemic, what's most important? What am I supposed to do? What's the most important thing? In the midst of 613 commandments, which one is most important? What am I supposed to do? Or which one am I supposed to do first? And Jesus reaches into the bag of commandments in what we call the Old Testament and pulls out what was probably the most obvious choice from the fifth book of Moses, from the book of Deuteronomy, what we know as chapter 6, beginning at verse 4. It was a passage of scripture that the Jews called the Shema. Say that with me together at home. 
Shema, indeed. Because this passage began with the Hebrew verb Shema, which means to hear or to listen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and mind and soul and strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And we can see so clearly that the Hebrew or the Jewish people were a people of the law, the Torah, which was not so much laws as it was the law or the God-given word and words spoken by God and to God's people through Moses about God himself and for their nurture and for their well-being in the wilderness and in the promised land, and in the face of enemies, and in the midst of foreign gods that were not truly gods, through the centuries, into exile, out of exile, and then under the rule of the Persians, and then the Greeks, and then the Romans. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There are not many gods but rather one. And you are to love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. These commandments that I give you today on Mount Sinai are to be on your hearts and press them on your children's. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Don't let them be far from you. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so when you come and when you go, you will see them and be reminded. And because these laws were from God, they were God's words. Because these laws really were, these laws really meant life and health and harmony and peace and safety for God's people. And these, really, these words really were the ancient connection for them to their great God. The Jewish people really did talk about them regularly with their children. They really did talk about them when they sat at home and when they walked along the road. As Orthodox Jews still do today. They bind them on their wrists. They bind them on their foreheads. They write them on the doorposts and the frames of their homes still to this day, so that they would be immersed in God's word, the word of God, his law, his truth for them. And as verse 7 of Deuteronomy 4 says, the Jews would speak these words even when they got up. And, when they would, and then they would speak these words whenever they would lie down, literally, Every day, every morning when they got up, every evening when they went to bed, every good and faithful Jewish person would recite those words. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. And so when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? It was not that hard of a question to answer for him. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. 
And with that, Jesus had sufficiently answered this teacher of the law. And Jesus could have stopped right then and right there and been done. But he didn't. Jesus didn't. Jesus couldn't. He had more to say because for Jesus, the Shema was not all there was. The second is this, he said, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And the teacher of the law understood that Jesus had put these two commandments together in a way that they became one. Well said, teacher. The man replied, you are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all of your heart and with all of your understanding and with all of your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is, is singular, more important than all of the burnt offerings and sacrifices. For the teacher of the law, Jesus had put these two together and made them one. But now consider for a moment what Jesus had done because it was subtle but quite revolutionary. For hundreds of years, well over a thousand years, the Jewish people had been reciting the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. It's all about God. It exalts God. It elevates God. It puts God at the center. It affirms that there is one God. And this one God is everything, all in all. It's a creed. It's a confession. It's a statement of faith that had stood the test of time. And along comes a carpenter turned rabbi from a backwater little town village that no one had ever heard of called Nazareth, followed by a bunch of students, disciples, apprentices, who were just mere fishermen, uneducated people, and a former tax collector. And this Jesus of all people tacks on to one of the most important monotheistic creeds ever known to mankind, probably the most important and the most central monotheistic creed ever known to mankind. And he tacks onto that an almost discarded verse, line from Leviticus that commanded people to look out just as much for their neighbors as they did for themselves. The teacher of the law was asking Jesus about the spiritual center of Judaism. He was asking Jesus about the spiritual core or center of Judaism. And up until that point, the spiritual center of Judaism had been memorize, instruct, write out the Torah, wear it on your hands, wear it on your foreheads, write it on the doorposts of your home, on your gate, and make sacrifices and present burnt offerings to God. And there was nothing wrong with any of that. Jesus didn't reject any of that, but he put something in front of all that. He took something and put it in front of all of that. Love God and love your neighbors. A way to love God and at times the way to love God. A way to love God and at times the way to love God with all of one's heart, mind, soul, and strength is to love those made by God and those made by God in the image of God. From Genesis 1:27, in the image of God, he created them. 
God created all that is, but there's only one thing that God created in his image, humanity, neighbors. And we've talked plenty of times about the fact that love in the scriptures is so much more than the way we usually use that word today. To love in the scriptures means to be wholly committed in both emotion and intention, in affection and in action to the well-being of another person, desiring for that person nothing less than the fullness of God's grace. I'm gonna say that again. To love in the scriptures means to be wholly committed in both emotion and intention, in both affection and in action, to the well-being of another person, desiring for that person nothing less than the fullness of God's grace. There is much talk these days about spiritual formation, about how a person can grow and mature spiritually. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and mind and soul and strength and love your neighbor as yourself and you will get to spiritual maturity. You will arrive. But some well-intending soul will argue, what about the spiritual disciplines? What about studying the Bible? What about prayer and fasting? What about going to church? What about tithing to church? And without belittling any of those things, Jesus says, first love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And also, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Look out for your neighbor as you look out for yourself. Care for your neighbor as you care for yourself. Provide for your neighbor as you provide for yourself. And if you're beginning to get the feeling that it's difficult to live the Christian life or to experience the depths of Jesus Christ while being primarily focused on yourself, oneself, you would be right. In fact, the exact opposite seems to be true. Whoever finds their life actually loses it. But whoever loses their life in Jesus' name, in Jesus' way, actually finds it, Jesus says. Whoever lets go gets. Whoever gives away receives, Jesus says. Going back to verse 32, the teacher of the law affirms Jesus' answer. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all of your heart and with all of your understanding and with all of your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices to which Jesus then replies, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You are not far from the kingdom of God. And this is that thing, again, about which Jesus was obsessed, about which Jesus came announcing. That was the subject of his preaching into which he called people that he said was near and here. You are not far from the kingdom of God. This is that thing now. That thing about which Jesus was obsessed. If you were with us for the first six or seven weeks of this year, we did a deep dive into the kingdom of God and learned, among other things, that the kingdom of God is not Israel, that the kingdom of God is not the United States, that the kingdom of God is not the church. It's not a geographic place. It's not up there. It's not exclusively in the future after we die, but is rather very much accessible and available here and now today. It's the authority of God to reign and the rule of God in people's lives. It's the reality in which what God wills or intends or wants is done. And so it's God reigning 
in a person's life. It's all about the king and it is coming in and through Jesus. And for Jesus in the scriptures, the kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom is always desirable. The, the kingdom is something to be desired. And Jesus says to the teacher of the law, you are not far from the kingdom of God. But why was he only not far from the kingdom of God? Why was he not there yet, according to Jesus? Because he'd only gotten the right answer. And getting the right answer, in other words, knowing what is true, saying the right thing, is not the same thing as experiencing or living in the kingdom of God. Just like watching exercise videos is not the same thing as exercising. Again, yesterday, someone in my house dialed up an exercise video on the TV and then presented, uh, proceeded to do the exercises along with the exercise leader. Following diligently the movements of the exercise leader on the TV screen. And I watched curiously and then sincerely for a couple of minutes. And while I heard this member of my family starting to breathe hard and get in shape, I didn't sense anything was happening in me like getting in shape as I sat on the couch and watched. My legs weren't getting tired. My abs didn't hurt. My body wasn't getting fit. My lung capacity wasn't being expanded. My heart muscle wasn't pumping any harder than it usually does as I sat there on the couch watching the exercise video, saying the right thing, knowing the right answers. In the same way Jesus says to the teacher of the law, who up until that point had only spoken wisely, you are not far from the kingdom of God, just as I was not far from the TV screen and not far from exercising. You're getting closer, Jesus says. Now, as I, our parents did with us, Karen and I do also with our kids when it comes to hunting Easter eggs, whether outside in the yard or inside, when one of the kids is getting close, closer to an Easter egg that we know where we hid it, we will say, you're getting warmer, you're getting warmer, you're getting warmer. And if they get really close, we say, you're getting really hot, you're on fire. And what will get this teacher of the law there? He was getting warmer. He was getting warmer. He was hot. What will get him over the hump, through the door, into the midst of the kingdom? Actually doing it. Actually doing what the command said. Living it, embracing it, obeying it, doing it. Loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And Loving one's neighbor just as one loves oneself. And then the kingdom will be present. And then the kingdom will be visible all around one. And then a person will be immersed in God's kingdom. Even right there in this life. Here, now, today. If that is what a person wants. According to Jesus. Like many of you, I have an account with the social networking platform next door which for me means that I periodically receive emails from next door about high activity posts. I, posts that are getting a lot of responses and attention. And I have been, and I have been this past week, 
both astounded at how mean, rude, self-absorbed, narrow-minded, oblivious some people can be to complete strangers on the one hand, but also how generous, kind, merciful, understanding, tender, benevolent, good some people can be toward other people who are complete strangers on the other hand. During these weeks of shelter in place, I've seen on next door people offering to do grocery shopping for those who are supposed to stay sheltered at home and not go out because of their age or because of a health condition. During these weeks of shelter in place, I have seen people offering to complete strangers latex gloves for free, jigsaw puzzles for free, toilet paper for free, Clorox wipes for free, homemade masks for free, food for free. I've literally seen the kingdom of God through the window of next door. And you can see it too. But more than that, you may enter it, you may experience it, you may be immersed in it, you may be irreversibly transformed by it. The coronavirus may have infected people in our community, but many others are being infected with the love of God. The coronavirus may continue to show its ugly head and big and little burst, but it will not stop the kingdom of God from bursting forth in glory if and as the people of God don't just go through the motions of religion and don't just regurgitate the right answers, but instead actively love God with all of one's heart, mind, soul, and strength and want what they want for themselves, for their neighbors. Seek what they seek for themselves, for their neighbors. Do what they do for themselves, ourselves, to our neighbors, for our neighbors. And while I know that shelter in place has in some ways limited what some of us can do actively, practically, in loving our neighbors as we love ourselves, lots of other doors have been opened and opportunities presented themselves through sewing masks, through donating dollars, through Street Life Ministry, through helping with Samaritan House, through helping with Second Harvest. On Friday, here in the parking lot of the church, literally hundreds of people came to receive hundreds of boxes of food because that's what they need most right now. In San Antonio this past week, literally 10,000 Cars and trucks, pickup trucks, because it's Texas. 10,000 automobiles lined up with tens of thousands of people in them wanting to get food for free from the San Antonio Food Bank that they desperately needed. The food bank has literally fed hundreds of thousands of people during the past week alone. Hundreds of thousands of people are also alone in their homes across our nation and in our community. 30 million people filed for unemployment benefits in the last couple of weeks. And the kingdom of God is near. And we are near the kingdom. And so I'm going to ask you to respond in two ways now this morning.
Here it goes. First, in what practical and specific ways can you love your neighbors in the coming week, in the coming seven days? And I'm going to ask you to type out your responses right now. Maybe this is what you can do or what you will do or ideas for others. Type out your responses right now to that question in the comments section on YouTube. Right now and during our closing song and for the next few minutes. What are some practical ways that you can love your neighbors in your neighborhood in the coming weeks? How can you love your neighbor as yourself? That's the first thing. And the second thing is this. Just as observant Jews in Jesus' day and throughout history recited the Shema right when they woke up every morning and right before they laid down every evening. I'm going to invite and encourage and challenge you to do the same every morning and every evening this coming week. But instead of reciting the entire Jewish Shema, speak out loud what we'll call the Shema of Jesus, which you can find in the comments section right now and for the remainder of this morning. These words, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and mind and soul and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And if you'd like and if you're willing and if you plan to do this, in addition to writing responses, typing out responses, adding things to the comments section about ways that you can do that, I'd encourage you and invite you, if you want to participate in this seven-day challenge invitation, to send an email to info at fpcsm.org and say, I'm in, count me in, I'm doing it. I'm going to say, I'm going to recite the Shema of Jesus. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. I'm going to do that this week. Seven mornings in a row, seven evenings in a row. And along the way, don't just recite and don't just say, but also pray those words. And along the way, imagine a neighborhood and imagine a community, imagine a county, imagine a state, imagine a nation, imagine a world in which people love God, not by creating religious wars, not by creating TV programs, not by doing this or that, but by loving their neighbors as they love themselves. Truly, even in the midst of a pandemic, the kingdom of God has come near in Jesus. The kingdom of God is close, and so are we. Let's pray. God, help us to be attentive to the revolutionary rabbi named Jesus, to the one who taught and the one who showed because he knew and because he was. The incarnation of God, the incarnation of you, Father, the incarnation of love itself. Help us to keep our eyes on him, to walk in his ways, to do what he said, to trust that what he said was true, and to look forward with certain hope to a kingdom that has already begun and a kingdom that is near and a kingdom into which we are invited and a kingdom that will last forever. May this be so through Christ the Lord. Amen.